0: I hope your week has gone well and you are able to do some practice on transforming the mind. We've been talking about concentration and in particular calm abiding, which is an ability to place your mind on an object and it will stay there peacefully and without effort for as long as you want. It's commonly known as shamatha. Last week we looked at the obstacles we may experience when trying to develop calm abiding and their antidotes. We spoke of five obstacles and eight antidotes and I wonder if you can remember what they are. The five obstacles are laziness, forgetting, laxity and excitement, non-application of the antidotes, and over-application of the antidotes. Laziness, you may remember, comes as a trio. The laziness of procrastination, that's putting your practice off till a later date. The laziness of being attracted to objects other than your practice, like perhaps computer games, and the laziness of putting yourself down or inadequacy. That is, I can't do this, it's too hard syndrome. Forgetting meant forgetting the object of concentration or the instructions. Laxity is heaviness of mind, and excitement is a mind focused on objects of attachment. Then, non-application of the antidotes happens especially when we are experiencing laxity or excitement and don't do anything about it. We don't apply the antidotes. Most of us don't have to worry about over-application because it applies to people who no longer experience laxity or excitement. When they still apply the antidotes, even though the obstacles are no longer there, they are guilty of this fault. So those are the five obstacles. Then the antidote for laziness is a combination of faith, aspiration, effort and pliancy. The antidote for forgetting is mindfulness, and the antidote for laxity and excitement is a combination of mindfulness and alertness. To counter non-application, we of course apply the antidotes, and conversely, stop applying them when we find we don't need them in over an over-application. Now that's a brief summary of what we went through last week, just to refresh your memory. Now before we go any further, let's just set a positive motivation for the program today. Remember that the best motivation is to gain enlightenment to be the best benefit to all other beings, just as the Buddha did. Any other motivation has a much less powerful effect, so if you can, make that your motivation today. If it's too much to ask, think at least that this program will become a cause for your own enlightenment and freedom from all suffering and dissatisfaction. Thank you. Now before we go any further, let's do some calm abiding type of meditation. Sitting comfortably with the back straight and concentrating on your breath for a while, let the thoughts come and go without interfering with them. Just try to keep your mind on the breath, but if it wanders, gently bring it back and concentrate again without any comment or judgment. Now try to imagine a Buddha image before you, the same as a statue or picture you may have seen. It is sitting on a lotus and a moon disc. Make the image quite small, the text sometimes recommends about as big as your thumb, and sitting in space about level with your eyes. The image is made of light and is three-dimensional. You may well not be able to see it clearly at all, and if you can't, Just focus on one part of the image, like the hands or feet, and try to make that clearer. If you can visualize the figure, keep your mind as firmly fixed on it as possible, trying to keep it clear and vivid. While you are concentrating, stay mindful of what the mind is doing, particularly that it's staying on the image. If it wanders off, use alertness to notice as quickly as possible and to bring the mind back. Try to be particularly aware of subtle and gross laxity and subtle and gross excitement. Remember, gross laxity is when the image is stable but unclear. It's not the sleepiness or mental heaviness in which the mind completely loses the object. Subtle laxity is the object is clear and stable but the clarity is not intense. The fine focus has been lost because the mind has become a little too relaxed. It's quite difficult to recognize and we may be at the stage of not of knowing it yet, but just try to stay aware of what can happen. Gross excitement happens when the mind goes off to an object of attachment and you completely lose the object of concentration. Subtle excitement you will recognize when the mind stays mostly on the object but a kind of undercurrent goes towards an object of attachment, like water flowing under ice. Laxity and excitement are the two main obstacles, so keep a good lookout for them and apply the antidotes if you find them. With laxity, the mind has become too withdrawn, so make the image brighter and larger, or you can leave the object of meditation and think about your good qualities or some of your good deeds to brighten the mind again. Then go back to the figure before you. With excitement, the mind has become too tight. You may be trying too hard. So bring it more inward and think on death or the suffering of this type of existence. When the mind stabilizes, go back to concentrating on the figure again. If that doesn't work, focus on the breath and counting each in and out breath as one. Go up to 21 and back again and that should stabilize the mind. Then go back to concentrating on the figure. So now please concentrate. Okay, now please come out of meditation. How did you go? If you're not familiar with this type of meditation, it may have been quite difficult. But I hope you could pick up when laxity and excitement were arising and you were able to keep your mindfulness and awareness going. This time we chose a Buddha figure as an object to concentrate on, but you can in fact just use about anything. You can meditate on a rock or a stick, a flower, or even on one of the elements. One great master is said to have attained calm abiding by meditating on an ox's horn. It's best to choose an object that suits your personality and inclination and that you like meditating on. But that doesn't mean something you have lots of attachment for. Meditating on your beloved Mercedes Benz isn't going to lead to calm abiding. It will probably just increase your clinging and lust. Meditating on a Buddha image is said to have a special advantage because you accumulate lots of merit even while you're meditating and it also helps to purify your negative karma because the object is so powerful and has such a strong effect on your mind. Anyway, whatever object we choose, we should stick with it and not meditate on one object one day and another ne- the next day. Also, we shouldn't do other practices very extensively if we're trying to develop karma abiding. Just stay with a one as much as possible. Hear more great content like this podcast by becoming a supporter on patreon. Head to patreon.com slash freefm89 So say we decide to meditate on the image of the Buddha, as we did in the exercise at the beginning of the program. It's good to make the image not too big. Actually, the best is whatever suits your mind. It shouldn't be bigger than life size. You may find it difficult to keep all the details or even the whole figure in mind. It should also not be smaller than a mustard seed and as you know a mustard seed is pretty small. So somewhere between life size and a mustard seed. In the beginning the image will probably not be too clear but that's okay, don't try and push it. You'll just land up with a headache. Even if you can't see the image at all just think that the vaguest shape and colour is before you. As you practice, it will become clearer, though it may take a long time. It's said that we should build the image up bit by bit, starting with something like the feet or the hands, or even the lotus flower the image is sitting on. Then, as bits become clear, we can add other bits until we have built up the whole figure. We might build it up, but then it loses its clarity. That doesn't matter. Don't despair. Just build the image up again again step by step. Now when we visualize the Buddha before us, the text recommends we actually try to feel that he is really there, smiling blissfully and radiating light in all directions. He is filled with a love and compassion that is directed straight at ourselves. This is not a material image like a photo or a statue. As I said, we should think it as as if made of light, although the Tibetans use lots of images of statues and paintings to help them visualize. If you've walked into a Tibetan shrine room with all its brightly colored tankas and images, you'll know what I mean. And usually their altars are crowded with images. So you can use a material image to help you visualize, but in your mind don't see your mental image like a painting or a statue. More like it's made of light and alive. Actually, they say you can't attain calm abiding focusing on an object of the five senses because calm abiding is a mental activity. So although you might start concentrating on a material object, it is only an aid to build up a mental image in its likeness that you can focus on in your meditation. It's said that if we use a Buddha image to focus on, even before we attain calm abiding, we will be seeing Buddhas in dreams and mental visions. Usually we get calm abiding by doing a long and powerful retreat with the right conditions we mentioned in an earlier program. However, we can get calm abiding by just practicing enough during our daily routines, though it will of course be a lot harder if your mind is not already very stable. We do a number of sessions every day, and then at the end of the day, after the last session of meditation, we imagine the object of meditation, the Buddha figure, grow smaller and smaller, and then dissolves into us through the crown of our head and we become one with the figure completely. That means that instead of leaping up happy to get to bed, we sit allowing ourselves to think that we've become one with the body, speech and mind of the Buddha. This is also very beneficial in accumulating merit and purifying negative karma. So that is meditating with the Buddha as our object. If that seems too difficult or not appropriate, we could meditate on the opponent to our worst afflictive emotion. In other words, we check ourselves carefully and find the strongest afflictive emotion and then use the opponent to that as our object of meditation. Say, for instance, I was heavily attracted to someone whose body I think is extraordinarily beautiful. Obviously, using that body straight as my object of meditation will probably not do much good in the way of developing calm abiding. However, I can use a couple of techniques to destroy the body's color and shape so that it doesn't lure my mind away so easily anymore. Instead of seeing the body with its usual blooming pinkish health, I imagine that it turns bluish purple. I imagine that the whole body becomes this doomed color and concentrating on that will help to settle the mind and also help me to overcome my attachment. The more stable and focused I can be, the closer. I Closer I will get to calm abiding. I can link that meditation on color with a meditation on destroying the shape of the body, especially if it's the shape I'm most attracted to. In this meditation, I will concentrate on the person I'm so attached to, visualizing a sore in the center of the forehead. That sore gets bigger and bigger, the flesh disintegrates and disappears until the skull is revealed. Still the sore gets bigger until it covers the whole body and no more flesh is left. The skeleton falls into a heap of bones which multiply until the whole earth is covered with bones. These then contract until they all become one bone. I can shrink that bone until it's the size of a grain of rice and then use that as an object to concentrate on. We can even imagine that the bone disappears and then use the space-like emptiness as our object of meditation. I haven't actually used this method, but it is said in the text that I got it from that if we do use it, it will definitely help us overcome our attachment. We can even use it on our own body if we're attached to that. Or we can use the repulsive aspects of the body to meditate on, like feces, blood, pus and so on. This will help our exaggerated view of the body, beauty of the body to deflate and destroy the fantasy we have of it. By developing a firm and clear stability on whatever aspect we choose, we will also develop calm abiding. Then say you want to overcome anger conjoined with a meditation on calm abiding. Now we will meditate on loving kindness as our object. First, we develop equanimity by thinking how all beings want happiness and don't want suffering just like ourselves. They are no different from us in this, even though they may be our enemy. Also, we are only one person, while others are many, so their happiness is collectively much more important than ours. We can also do the friend enemy stranger meditation in which we examine how friends, enemies and strangers are just categories in our minds. They don't exist in themselves at all. For instance, my friend may be your enemy, and vice versa. Also, friends and enemies very easily swap positions. Today's friend becomes tomorrow's enemy with just a few words. Friends and enemies were both strangers before we classified them as friend or enemy, and they will easily become strangers again if they move to another city or country, and so on. So it's stupid to cling on to people as friends, enemies and strangers. It just brings more upheaval to our lives and doesn't lead to peace. Therefore, we give up such classifications, seeing all people as equal and treating them all with warm-hearted kindness. Once we have this kind of equanimity on our minds, we can then focus on generating loving-kindness to all, starting with those normally dearest to us, then going to friends, enemies and all beings focusing and keeping the mind on the feeling of loving-kindness for all when it arises. When it fades, we again go through the analysis until the feeling becomes strong again, at which time we use it as an object for calm-abiding as well as developing universal loving-kindness. We can also use the antidote to pride as an object of calm-abiding. Here we concentrate on the various objects that make, make us up. We reflect on the five aggregates that is form, feeling, discrimination, compositional factors and consciousness, to deflate the feeling that we are an independent self. We can also use one of the four elements, or one of the 25 gross objects described in the death process, to gain an understanding that we are made up of parts, causes and conditions, as well as increase our powers of concentration. We don't have time to go into all these now, but if you are interested, you can investigate the five aggregates, the four elements, that's earth, water, fire and wind or the 25 gross objects yourself. Anyway, the important point is that we use a method of concentration to convince ourselves that we are not the independent, high up creature we think we are. Emptiness itself is also an object for meditation on calm abiding for people whose major reflection is ignorance. However, this is not at all that easy and if you decide to use this as your object, you need to have someone explain it quite carefully to you first. We are advised not to meditate on emptiness without careful instruction, as we could come to the conclusion that nothing exists, which is even worse than thinking things have an inherent independent existence. However, we must also remember that our very reason for developing calm abiding is to use it to meditate on emptiness. For emptiness is the only thing that will really root out cyclic existence. So if we can use emptiness as our object for calm abiding meditation, we'll be killing two birds with one stone, as it were. I'm not sure whether the breath itself can be used as an object to develop calm abiding. My teacher once told me that it couldn't because it was a moving object, but I have read that it is possible. Perhaps my teacher was giving me personal advice and some people can use the breath as their object. If our minds are filled with uncertainty and vacillation, or jumping around like a Mexican bean, breathing meditation is good to help it settle down. We can use the five aggregates to develop calm calm abiding, not to counteract pride, but instead to deepen our understanding. In such a meditation, we take one aggregate to concentrate on, and then when we have developed calm abiding on that, we meditate on the others to develop our wisdom about them. So, for instance, using consciousness as an object, we let the thoughts come and go without being caught up, but become aware of the space that they take place in. We rest in that space, allowing everything to pass on by without any reaction, just keeping our attention as much as possible on the clear knowing spaciousness that everything passes through, like the sky. As we concentrate on it, we get a strong taste of what it's like as our concentration increases. Then later, we can also meditate on feeling, form, discrimination and the other compositional factors. Anyway, time is now up and we must go. We'll talk a little further on this in our next program. Thank you for joining us today and I hope you'll do so again next week. Goodbye.